0: Well, tonight we're going to look at exactly who this king is and how we can know that Jesus is not just a representative of God, but the Messiah sent from God. And to do that, we're going to be digging into the Bethlehem star. What is it? How did God do it? And to do that, we're going to look at our key verse to begin. Our key verse today is in the book of Matthew. So we're going to dig into this passage together. It says, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? And immediately, if you were part of the original audience, you would know, whoa, I can't believe they said that out loud. Why? Because Herod is currently the king, and he was not born a king of the Jews. He bought his way into office. In fact, Herod, the king of the Jews, isn't even Jewish. And he's quite insecure about that. In fact, he starts destroying the genealogies of many people in Jerusalem so they can't kind of one-up on him. He's actually an Edomite. So when the Magi show up and say, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? They're like touching on a very, very sore spot. And a man who's known for being very, very violent just asks his last couple wives or son who he boiled in oil at a party. This is not a guy you tick off. And the Magi say, for we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. So as we explore the different ways God may have used to display this star in the sky, remember the main theme is we know God did it because the Bible said it. We're going to try and explore how he might have done it. But the main application of this passage is this, that we would come to worship the king. Who is the king that you're worshiping? What is the thing that you go for security, the who or the what you find your peace from and your meaning from and your identity from? That's the king of your life. And God created in the heavens a way to display that the real king of your life that you should live for, be willing to die for, is Jesus Christ, the source of life. Yet often we live for other kings. Jesus gets demoted to like, you know, the duke of the janitor of the best friend of the neighbor of some king rather than being the king of your life. What is that thing you live for? I mentioned last week at the Exploring Service that several years ago I went to see the, the Miracle Worker play at Milford High School where my daughter was in it. And it was amazing as a special needs dad to watch that story of Helen Keller and Annie from new eyes. Of the kind of sacrifice it takes to teach someone who can't communicate to communicate. I remember just getting emotional watching this this play and seeing how Annie worked so hard to teach Helen Keller, who couldn't speak, couldn't hear, couldn't talk, how to communicate. But the piece that was left out of the story is that Annie was a follower of Jesus, who so worshipped the King Jesus that she went through tireless amounts of work and sacrifice to teach Helen Keller to communicate so she could eventually tell her about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And when they got into those spiritual conversations, Helen said or communicated, I've always known about God. And Annie said, How? She said, I could feel the heat from the sun. It was actually the star of our universe that led her to Annie telling her about the star of the universe, Jesus Christ. It was the sun giving warmth to Helen Keller that led her to Annie, who told her about the Son of God who could be her king. And I was amazed that Annie was so devoted to making Jesus known that she devoted her life to incredibly difficult work of teaching someone to communicate because she so wanted the king to be known. So as we're going through all the different theories and evidences today, I want you to think about what's really king of your life that you're worth sacrificing for, worth dying for, worth giving anything up for. First, we're going to investigate some clues in the text, and then we're going to compare the different conclusions. Let's begin with investigating some clues so we can look at more evidence as to why we should worship Jesus as God, the one sent from God. So what are some of these clues? Let's start off with the questions. When you dive into the text, immediately questions are popping up everywhere. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in the days of Herod, first question, when were the days of Herod? Behold, wise men... Where do these wise men come from? Like, out of nowhere, it mentions the wise men as if we should know something about them. Does the Bible ever mention wise men? And why are they here? And they came from the east. Where is the east? And why are these people famous? And why did they, whatever they saw, why did it lead them to Jerusalem? And if the star of Bethlehem told them where Jesus was born, then why is the first question they ask, where is he? If the star led him to him. Who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star. Jesus has a star? How would they know it's his star? Where did they discover he had a star? And we have come to worship him. So lots of questions. Let's look at three clues. The first clue is to talk about when are the days of Herod. Now, Johann Kepler was a famous astronomer who really calculated all the mathemat- mathematical calculations for the elliptical orbit of all the planets around the sun. So prior to that, Aristotle, for thousands of years, had taught that everything revolves around the earth. But this is the guy, a follower of Jesus, a Bible-believing man who wanted astronomy to display the glory of the Father and Son. And he calculated, if you can imagine that, with an old-style telescope where all the planets were. And yet, he was obsessed with figuring out the Bethlehem star as a man who believed seriously about the Bible and seriously about science and putting the two together together. Here's the problem. Imagine a timeline here. This is zero. 1 AD, 2 AD, 3 AD, minus 1, minus 2 BC. Jesus, every scholar would tell you, was not born on zero. They got the calendar wrong when they set that up. What the Bible tells is that he was born in the days of Herod, so now we're definitely in BC, because some scholars say that Herod died at 4 BC, many of them. And in Johann Kepler's day definitely said 4 B.C., and for Jesus to have been born in the days of Herod, he had been born before 4 B.C., 6 or 7. Because remember, Herod's going to kill off the two-year-old, so he's got to be at least two years before when Herod died. So, Johann Kepler began to look and reverse engineer and calculate what was happening in the skies around 5 B.C., 6 B.C., 7 B.C. that might have been the star, and he couldn't find anything. However, recent scholarship has shown that in 1544 the guy who tells us the date of Herod's death, a guy named Josephus Flavius, a Jewish historian, his stuff was printed on a typesetting press in 1544, and a mistake was made. And that mistake was related to the death of Herod. And there's a lot of scholars today believe it wasn't 4 B.C. He actually, based on how it's written, it could have been 3 B.C., 2 B.C., or some even argue for 1 B.C. Why is that important? Because if it's 1 B.C., whatever we're looking for in the sky could have been at 3 B.C., Something Johann Kepler never even looked into. The days of Herod, sometime between 1 BC and 4 BC. Clue number one. Clue number two who are these Magi? And why are they called Magi? Well, the Magi came from an empire. So there was an empire called the Parthians. That's the orange section up there. And the Parthians, prior to that was ancient Babylon, was an empire that was always battling with the Romans. The Romans had access to the northern Europe area and the northern, sorry, Europe and then the northern African area. And they were always battling specifically over Jerusalem. And so the Parthians would take over and then the Romans would get it back. There was a rich guy, King Herod's father, who kind of got him the job and got him the position of being the king of Judea. However, there are many times the Parthians took over and then the Romans had to get it back and then it became slightly independent with the Romans. But there was a constant tension between the, the the Parthian Empire and the Romans. So the Parthians... Um, had a group called the Magi. And the Magi is where we get the word magistrates. These were high high elite governors, and they were known for being dream interpreters and king choosers. That's kind of their, their shtick. That's kind of their thing. So it's a highly politically involved area in Judea where Herod's very kind of holding on to his kingdom. He's kind of scared of the Parthians coming back, as they've done in the past. He's kind of in control right now. And all of a sudden, a group of Parthian magi, or magistrates, high official type folks, and it's not three of them, because of the three gifts, most scholars believe it's more like hundreds or even a thousand people show up in Jerusalem. That's why Herod is troubled in all Jerusalem with him. A major group of king choosers, priestly king choosers from the Parthian empire, have shown up in Jerusalem. And they're the ones that choose kings in their empire. Hold that thought. Now, where did the wise men come from, these magi? Well, is there any time in the Bible that the word wise men has been used? Yes. But we've got to jump all the way back to the book of Daniel, where Daniel was considered one of the wise men in the Babylonian Empire, the same region the Parthians now control. Huh. Second, let's talk about Gabriel. Gabriel shows up in the book of Luke. When's the last time we've seen Gabriel? Last time was in the book of Daniel. Huh. So we have this connection between the Babylonian Empire and the Parthians, the Magi wise men mentioned in Daniel. Now we have Magi mentioned or wise men mentioned in this book as well. So what is it that the descendants of those trained by Daniel, who was over all the wise men and dream interpreters in the book of Daniel, might be calculating that would have them even looking to the skies? Let's jump back to Daniel chapter 9. In Daniel chapter 9, he makes a profound uh, prophecy. And he predicted in advance that the Babylonians would be conquered by the Persians, would be conquered by the Romans, would be conquered by the Greeks. He mentions these nations by name, Daniel does. So he was all about these Babylonian empires. In the middle of that, he makes a prediction, a very, very specific prediction. And here's the prediction. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until the time of messiah the prince there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks now daniel has been ripped from his homeland babylon's in charge they're going to rule the people for 70 years are we ever going to get home Are we ever going to get home is there ever going to be a messiah are we ever not going to be occupied and daniel says yes but it's going to take at least 70 years but there's going to come a time that we will return to our homeland in jerusalem And when that day occurs, pull out the Advent calendar, so to speak, and start checking boxes. Because you can count from that date that Jerusalem's restored and start counting 62 plus 7 weeks of years. And you'll get to exactly when the Messiah, the Prince, is manifest. All right. So it could be that these Parthian Magi, who've been trained, their ancestors have been trained by Daniel knew exactly in 400 what we would call 445 bc is when the edict went out and they began to count the days now what's the math the babylonian calendar and the jewish calendar worked off 360 days a year unlike our 365 because it mentions weeks these are weeks of years daniel explains that in other passages just trust me so we have seven weeks of years times 62 plus seven is 69 weeks plus 360 days a year and we end up with 173,880 days And if you start adding those up, there's kind of three different views. One view is that it leads to the very day that Jesus comes in the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. That's the view, actually, I hold. There's another view that it leads directly up to the day he was baptized, and Jesus says, this is my beloved son. But whatever it is, it's all within two or three years of each other. When you add up the dates of Daniel's prophecy, it leads up to somewhere around 30 to 33 A.D., so these magi, trained possibly by Daniel's ancestors, looking to the skies for kingly choosers, and they were counting the days anew. The Messiah is going to be presented, average lifespans, 30 years. Sometime around 2 or 3 BC, they were looking for evidence of Jesus. Now this math and these calculations were done by a guy named Sir Robert Anderson. He wrote a book called The Coming Priest. Prince, rather, Coming Prince. And he actually was a police officer and a investigative... Uh, investigator and eventually worked for scotland yard but he became a christian when his sister invited him to like the equivalent in scotland of a big tent revival and he was pretty turned off by the whole thing he then went to a church that week and he heard a guy present the gospel the god of the universe came from heaven to earth he died for us so that we can be forgiven past present future fully free of condemnation so robert anderson was offended this was not religion this was heresy so he actually walked with the guy out of church and just started challenging him on how this could not possibly be what the Bible said. The Bible's about do, be a good person and God will accept you. And the pastor that day convinced him of what we call the gospel, that you can be forgiven because of what Jesus did for you, not what you did for him. He became a Christian, became a police officer, worked in Scotland Yard, and eventually became obsessed with the Daniel prophecy, and he actually calculated everything I just put on the screen. He got knighted by the queen for his work, I'm calculating that Jesus was the Messiah based on this 100-year-old prophecy. So that's our second clue. Our third clue is that the star doesn't tell us where Jesus will be born, at least not initially. It tells us who he is. When Herod the king heard this, where is the king, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him, I bet. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes, they inquired of where the Christ would be born. So the star didn't tell them get him to Bethlehem, it got him to Jerusalem. So whatever the star is, it only led them to Jerusalem. They then had to ask the Bible where he was to be born. So they pull out the scribes, where's the Christ going to be born? And they said to him, based on the Bible, not the star, in Bethlehem in Judea, for it's written by the prophet, you Bethlehem in the land of Judah are not least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler, a king, who will shepherd or lead my people Israel. It goes on. So Herod, when he, he secretly called the wise men, he determined from them the time the star appeared. And notice the past tense, as if the star appeared, but maybe it's disappeared, you'll see in just a moment, and there's two views on that. Maybe it's been there the whole time, maybe it disappeared, and it's going to reappear. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, go search carefully for the young child, and when you found him, bring back word to me, that I may come and worship him also. And when they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star, which they had seen, had seen, but haven't seen a little bit possibly, in the east, went before them. It reappeared. And then it went before them. It came and stood over where the young child was. And here comes the issue. How does a star in the universe stand on top of somebody's house? Because remember, Jesus is not in the manger anymore. Jesus is two years old. That's why Herod's going to kill the two-year-olds and younger. So he's living in a house in Bethlehem, and somehow whatever this star is has to appear and show them the way to the house, like a big spotlight. Well, a planet can't do that. A comet can't really do that. So what could do that? Or there's another view of the Greek. The words here used in the Greek for the word came and stood are the word arachmia and Histema which actually can mean established or confirmed. So you could read this verse this way. So after reading that the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem, the star reappears, possibly in, in the atmosphere, or in, the, in the stars, and by reappearing after they read about Bethlehem, it was establishing or confirming that the young child was what and where they just read about. See the problems? So maybe it showed them exactly where. Maybe it just confirmed that what they read was true. Maybe the star appeared, disappeared, and reappeared. These are all of our clues. Now, let's look at the different conclusions. So conclusions. What are the different views out there? Well, there's several. One view is that this is a conjunction of planets that is so bright that it communicates that the king's star, the king is born. Second thing is that this is an angel, a supernatural glory of God, like the goodness of God that passed by Moses. It's the, the, the glow that occurs behind God. God himself appeared like a star for them. A comet. So a comet was streaking across the sky so they know what direction to go so they followed the comet. Or it's a supernova, specifically a reoccurring one. So let me give you the different views. First it's an angel. Now this is a, a great view because it explains a lot. Big bright thing in the sky, it was God himself, the Holy Spirit appeared, it could appear wherever it wanted, whenever it wanted, and when they came to Herod, it could reappear, and sure enough, it could actually, an angel, come into our atmosphere and peer over somebody's house. Very, very easy, very, very slick, and it would solve all of the issues. This was a supernatural angel glory of God that led the wise men to know exactly who Jesus was. And it's consistent, right? Because God in Moses led the people with a pillar of fire, a pillar of cloud. God appears throughout the Bible as a bright light, shining and leading people. So this could be God himself supernaturally, miraculously displaying who he is. However, the word here for a star is a word that means planet more often than not. And the Bible has a word for angel and it's used in Matthew chapter 2 right before this passage and right after this passage. So if he wanted to say angel, he already had a word for it. And it could be the Shekinah glory of God, but there's another word for that that Matthew uses in Matthew chapter 17. Hmm. So it could be, but there's some problems. The second view is that possibly this is an alignment of planets. So I want to show you a couple of those. If you're an astronomer, maybe you've uh, looked at this app you can buy on, your, webs- on your, uh, your phone or iPad for 20 bucks. It's called Starry Night. What's cool about this is you can actually pick any place in the world, so we're going to pull up a map, we're going to find Bethlehem, the Bible told us that they were coming from the east, so we're just going to pick any spot from the east near Iraq and say, what did the stars look like if I was standing in Iraq? Then I've set the date, as you see on the top right, to 3 BC, two years before that 1 BC date. I've said it to August, October because I believe Jesus was born in August, October because that's when shepherds would be out in the fields by night. It also lines up to some Jewish holidays we talked about in previous series. So it says that they came from the east but they looked to the east which is kind of weird really. So here's the western view. But it says they came from the east but they looked into the eastern sky. So let's calculate over to the eastern sky and look what we find in the eastern sky. In 3 BC in August there was a culmination of jupiter and venus which the pagans considered the dad planet jupiter and the mother planet venus came together and they came together in the constellation leo leo the king of the jungle so to speak but in judaism he was considered the lion of judah is where the messiah would come and if you zoom into this constellation you'll see there's a star we call regulus if you've ever been to the Regal Theater, you know Regal Theater stands for Royal. It's considered the Royal Star. And from their vantage point at 3 BC, it would have looked like Jupiter and Venus were aligned in the constellation Leo and with the King Star, that whether you're Hebrew or whether you're Babylonian, you consider that the King Star. Huh. If you advance by the way, by day, and you watch this for a couple days, you'll see The mother star begins to move. I'll zoom in a little bit more. The mother star begins to move as if making a line straight in the hands of the lion. As if the lion's now holding a scepter, which some scholars believe is because a prophecy in the Old Testament said that the lion of Judah, the scepter would come out of him. Maybe. And Venus ends up aiming directly down, and guess what the next constellation is directly beneath her? Virgo the Virgin. As if the Lion King Lion Star will eventually be born of a virgin. And as we'll find out in two weeks, because I can't give it all away, she wasn't originally called Virgo the Virgin. She actually had a Hebrew name, and she's holding something in her hand that speaks to another prophecy about why he was born in Nazareth. But we've got to talk about that in two weeks. So... If you go a year later, though, let's jump forward a year. We're at 3 BC. They've been traveling for a year before they get there, a year and a half, two years, because Herod's going to kill the two-year-olds. Let's jump forward. We're going to jump forward to my settings. Second setting, we're now in 2 BC. And look what happens. In 2 BC in October, same basic area, you see now Jupiter and Venus realign, and now they're realigned from the western sky, facing east now in the constellation Virgo. And this may be one of the ways God used to communicate the King's star and the King was born. It also has problems. There's only ten months between those star dates. Venus and Jupiter do come together several times. It's not that unique. There's some other ways in which, unless you hit the right time of night and the right time of day, it doesn't appear the whole time. So there are some problems with this view, but there are some real intriguing aspects of this view. Now another view is that it's a supernova. So the supernova, there's a guy named Hugh Ross, who's a PhD astronomer. And he actually shows that there's a type of supernova called a reoccurring nova. That God could have made this giant nova appear next to Regis, next to wherever. Gigantic explosion. He doesn't believe that Herod died in 1 BC. He believes in 4 BC. And he said there were some places where Korean and Chinese astronomers noticed supernovas exploding around the 4 or 5 BC mark. not around six or seven where he'd like it to be but a reoccurring nova would be something that could appear they get to jerusalem and that's why by the way the king of judah the the lion constellation would lead them to jerusalem but not to bethlehem so the lion represented jerusalem or judah so they came to the capital city of judah to get there that would explain something too but his belief is that there's a supernova appears they get they open the bible and sure enough, they look up in the sky and the supernova reoccurs, which can occur months or years later, and it confirmed and established that what they read in the Bible was true didn't actually stand over the actual place. So these are the different views. Now, Chad, which one's right? I'm not sure. In fact, when you read the different scholars, there's such humility because they all realize there's problems and ups and downs of all the views. Whatever it is, God did it, and it was miraculous. And the goal goal was, this is the king. This is the one I want you to worship. I kind of lean toward the Shekinah glory view. You know, it's got some textual problems related to why it used the word star versus angel versus glory. And I really, really like the planetary view that I just showed you, which is why it took me six months to figure out how to show you. Um, (laughs) Even though I know it's got some problems. Because again, maybe we'll find in science some things we didn't account for. The comet view's got some problems. It might be a legion lead you in the right direction, but there's really no comets that we've known that were existing during that time period. So I'm somewhere between the planetary view and probably the Shekinah glory view. But either way, the goal was that God is coming to the whole world and saying, this is my king. He's not one of the many ways to God. He's the way. He's me coming to flesh that you will know for sure who the king and who God is. Which is why I came back to our main point. Our main point is, what is the king you worship? And if Jesus is the king, that the God of the universe should kind of gloried his way down, or use star alignments to do it, or comets to do it, he wanted you and I this Christmas to know how to give ourselves to the one king that's worthy of our life. And when you worship that king, there's sort of some tests you can do, some things that come out of you in Jesus' king. And we see that exactly... In the wise men or the magi. When they saw the star, what comes out of them? Number one, they rejoiced with not just little joy, exceedingly great joy. This Christmas season, make Jesus the king and the star of your life. How will you know? In the middle of all the hustle and bustle, and irritating family, and disagreements, and misunderstandings, and lists of things you need to get done. All that's going to want to be your king for the next 30 days. But instead, will you meditate on, will you go around and around in your head? The God of the universe, who controls stars and makes galaxies, came to earth for me. me because he loves me he wanted to forgive me and of all the things he has to think about in the universe he was thinking about me And when he died for me, it wasn't to give me another chance or maybe I'd try harder. No, no, no. At that moment, he adopted me and made me an heir, a co-heir with Christ that I am fully ascended with Jesus and I have a position in Christ that all has been forgiven, past, present, and future. No condemnation, no big blanket of guilt I can't get out from underneath. Now that's exceedingly great joy. That's what Christmas is about, that the God of the universe would know you by name. yet how often do we meditate on that and think about that in the Christmas season? Is Jesus the star of your life? Remember a few weeks ago I told you the story of Bill Hayden, who was going to be the prime minister of Australia? And at 85 years old as an atheist, he ended up becoming a follower of Jesus because of the the impact of a, a nun who had shared her faith with him. At 85 years old, he said, for the rest of my life, however long I have left, I'm no longer going to be the star of my own life. Jesus is going to be the star. Our elders are usually hanging out in the hearth room so you can meet and ask questions after a service. A couple came up and were describing how their interaction in the Bible and studying the bible here in our services and small groups have really impacted both of them but he particularly said i have changed so much I, i've become a real follower of jesus and my friend mike marker turned to his wife and said well tell me what's been the biggest change you've seen in your husband since he's gotten serious about god she didn't have to think about it <laughs> she's like it's no longer all about him <laughs> and that's pretty good actually right you don't live for yourself. You're still important, but you're subordinated to something bigger. The king of your life, the star of your life. So number one, exceedingly great joy when Jesus is your king. All right, do you have exceedingly great joy that the God of the universe died for you and came for you? Number two, they fell down and they worshiped. The word worship is to give worth to things. You'd say what something's worth. Have you acknowledged that Jesus, the king, is worth everything? Or have you substituted the worth of God for the worth of security, the worth of acceptance, the worth of approval, or being a good mom, or being a good dad, or being a good whatever? Have you given too much worth to something else? Or are you worshipping the God of the universe who died for you, who loved you, who, who put in the skies the display and evidence for his son? What do you worship Because when you realize how merciful this God has been, how generous this God has been, how kind this God has been, you worship Him for who He is. And just like the Magi, you go from joy to worship to presenting gifts. You're incredibly generous. God was generous with his mercy. You're generous with your mercy. God's generous with his finances. He who was rich became poor, so through his poverty you could become rich. So you become very, very rich with your generous gifts, with your finances, with your stewardship. God is kind to you when you don't deserve it. You're generous with your kindness when other people don't deserve it. That's what happened to Charles Schultz. You know the story of Charles? He's the one who wrote the Peanuts cartoon. He came back from World War II, and somebody explained to him the gospel, the main message of the Bible I just described. And he was so overwhelmed that the God of the universe would die for him, it changed his life. As he was writing the Peanuts cartoons, he became an avid reader of commentaries and Bible study and sacred literature. He became a Sunday school teacher in in the Midwest and in California. And then it came time that the networks came and said, could you write a Christmas special? And he did. And they hated it! For a lot of reasons. This weird jazz music he put in there. And this weird like 15, 16 frame rate instead of 30 frame rate on his artistic drawings because he could get it done faster and and it was just a little too flickery for them. But especially he wanted to read Luke chapter 2 on network television. And they fought and fought and fought. But for him, in light of the God who sacrificed for him, in light of the God who had done so much for him, he wanted to use his platform and his stage to go to battle for his ideas that he would tell the real meaning of Christmas. I'm not saying that's how you should do it in all your environment, but you should always wrestle with this question. What does it look like in my career, in my stage, in my influence to make Jesus king? For him it meant Luke chapter 2 being read by Linus but he also embedded other little hints about Jesus into the Christmas special. You see, Linus had a security blanket. That was his king. He held on. It's where he got comfort. It's where he got security. But did you know in the Christmas special he finally drops that blanket? Did you know when he drops it? During the reading of Luke 2. When the angels say, Fear not. See, that's what making Jesus king of your life, is you finally let go of other kings and security blankets, and you look to him. There's an old prophecy in the Hebrew Scriptures that says the stump of Judah would become the king. And the celebration of this whole show is this ridiculous stump of a tree that Charlie Brown finds. He's made fun of for it. The stump becomes the hero. And there's a moment where the stump dies. In fact, you remember Charlie Brown says, I've killed it! Huh, a stump that dies that's been made fun of and people have contempt for and yet it's risen back to life. And you remember what how ridiculous it is, how big it gets? Oh, it's not just here. By the end of the show when they're singing, this stick of a tree becomes this. Oh, wow, I mean it's bigger than ever, massive than ever, right? That these hints at resurrection, these hints at that which was cast off becomes the hero and the celebration. What does it look like for you to be incredible generous when you understand how generous God was for you with your life? To make Jesus the king and the star of your life. Will you do that this Christmas? Meditate on what he's done for you and look at the, how to pay it forward to those around you. I ask you to do that maybe not just in our neighborhoods, not just at your workplace, not just in your marriage your family. Do that here at Horizon too. Maybe it's time for you to say, I've never given financially to God's work at Horizon. But I've learned so much. My kids have learned so much. My own spiritual education, my understanding of who God is. Maybe you want to say, I've never given before to Horizon. I want to start small. I'm just going to start the habit. Or other of you, you, you've started small, but you've never really given big. And this next 30 days, this next year, we have so many incredible things planned. Many of which we're able to do because of the way you've generously given in response to God's generosity to you we've got so many other things they are going to be tools to help people get to know the God of the universe. So I'd encourage you, start small but give big as you think about your giving the next 30 days. And one of the tools that we hope will help you and help your friends comes out today. Now some of you downloaded it already, but it wasn't quite ready. So coming today, we actually are putting out there an app we've been working on. It has 10 years of messages. You can go to either the Apple Store or the Android Store. And you can search horizon space cc, and you'll download that app. And that app will allow you to look at past messages. You can send, you all oh, this Bethlehem star was so good. You send it to a friend who's into science or into astronomy. You hear a message about depression, you can send it to a friend who's going through a difficult time. You can search past messages by keywords, by concepts. And if you just say, no, I want to dig into the Bible like we're doing here at the equipping service. For the last ten years, we have taught through the Bible, verse by verse, by verse. The book, book of Luke, the book of Genesis, the book of uh, Ezekiel, the book of Mark, the book of John, the book of Romans. If you click on a little app there called Book by Book, it's categorized the last ten years of messages that you can use as a tool for your own spiritual enrichment of understanding who Jesus is. And assuming our licensing all's on track, which it is right now, we're gonna go live. With live stream video, which is why all the volunteers and all the different folks who've been preparing and training and practicing within the next 30 to 45 days. And that will be something you can view and watch actually on this app. And then you can literally click and send the video of our services directly to friends and neighbors. Or when you're on vacation, you want to track with, Gee, I talked about that branch and I'm not going to be here in 1215. I've got to figure out the branch and how it connected to Virgo. This is a tool to help you grow spiritually and to help your friends as well. One last thing. As you're thinking about how you can make Jesus king, maybe you want to invite somebody to a service this Christmas. We're going to have eight Christmas services again. Eight. Just like we did last three years. And so far we've made it. Just barely, but we've made it through all eight. And there are complimentary tickets available starting today. They're complimentary, but we want you to grab a ticket because it allows us to make sure everyone has a spot. We don't want anyone to not have a good spot or have one service crammed. So you can grab tickets today for you and your friends at the 10 a.m., 11 a.m., noon, 1 p.m. We're actually going to eat at 2, so there's no services at 2 for our team. Then 3 p.m., 4 p.m., 5 p.m., and 6 p.m. Let's make Jesus king and star of this church by being filled with the joy of the gospel, by worshiping him and him alone, and by generously giving of our finances and our time to the work God is doing in our community. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for being king. And I confess how often I have made myself the star of my life. And I want everyone to worship me as king, including you. But Father, this Christmas, we rededicate ourselves to being servants of the Most High God, born King of the Jews, that we would come Worship, worth-ship you for who you are. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. 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 Thanks for being here today.